0: Let's open in prayer. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for this church. I, th- I thank You for each and every one that's here this morning and for those that are not able to be here. Lord, that You would bless Your church. For those that are tuning in live, Lord, that, that You would bless. or that You would touch. If there's people that are sick, and I know that there's some, uh, even in our church now, that are in the hospital and some that have surgeries coming, and some that are sick and not doing well. Lord, would you, Lord, put your hand upon them. Would you touch them, Lord? Would you heal? Would you encourage? Lord, would you do that work in all of our hearts this morning? Through your word, by your spirit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning we're going to be in our Bibles excuse me, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, looking at verses 12 to 19. I titled this morning's message, and it's a long one, Jesus Curses the Fig Tree and Cleanses the Temple. We, a couple weeks back now, we were in Mark's Gospel. I shared about the triumphal entry. That's Jesus Christ Christ coming into the city of Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. This was going to be the beginning of the Passion Week. And it was a direct fulfillment. Jesus coming in on the the back of that donkey's colt, it was a direct fulfillment of prophecy. I believe even to the very day, according to prophecy, we read in Zechariah 9.9, 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Prophesied. Before the day came. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of that, that colt. We read out of Matthew chapter 21. In uh, verse 7. It says the disciples that they had brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them. It's kind of it's kind of like a saddle on this, you know. Just they they draped their clothes on top of this colt, and they set Jesus on top of it. And we're told that a very great multitude that they they also spread their clothes on the road in front of that that colt. Some of them were climbing up these palm trees and cutting off branches. They began to lay them down in front of Jesus as He made His way down from the Mount of Olives towards the city of Jerusalem. They laid Him in front of Jesus like they were, like they were laying out the, the red carpet, so to speak, for the king. Luke's Gospel tells us, it says, as Jesus drew near, As he came uh, to that top of that Mount of Olives, as he was overlooking this city of Jerusalem, we're told that he saw the city and he wept over it. Can you see that? Jesus there looking over, looking down, so to speak, from the Mount of Olives, weeping, over Jerusalem. And He was not just weeping over the city itself, He was weeping over His people as He was able to have this this view from the Mount of Olives. He weeps over it and He says, if you had known, even you especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, if you had only known, and You see, Jesus was weeping because He knew that many didn't know. Many had not yet been able to put it together. Many were still walking in unbelief. But Jesus says, if you would have known. If you would have believed your Scriptures. They, they all spoke of this day. If you would have known what Zechariah 9.9 said, you would have known that this day was marked out. But Jesus went on to say, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They'll surround you and they'll close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You see, they weren't ready. There was a lot of hustle and bustle going on on that Temple Mount that day. They were preparing for the feast, but they weren't ready for this day. This prophecy of that city being torn down stone by stone was going to be fulfilled. These words fulfilled 38 years later when the general Titus, that Roman general, came in to Jerusalem and sought to kill every Jew that was there. And not only that, but he took the whole city down. His army took the city down stone by stone. The whole temple dismantled the temple and fulfilled what Jesus was saying here on this day. As Jesus there was at the top of the mountain, weeping over Jerusalem, W. H. Griffith Thomas, he made this comment of that. He says, let us sit at Christ's feet until we learn the secret of His tears and beholding the sins and sorrows of city and countryside, weep over them too. And it made me think as I read that quote, look at our city. Look at our nation. Look at the place that we're in right now as Christians, the day and age we're living. Look at the state of the people. Look what's going on around you. And Lord, help me that I might sit at Your feet, that I might understand what it was that brought You to tears. What should bring me to tears? What should cause my hard heart at times to have that kind of compassion for people that don't know Christ? That day as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the people were were crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now! Save now! They were saying. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest! And I think that they were screaming at the top of their lungs. We're also told as Jesus was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, that there was this whole multitude that began to rejoice and to praise God with these, with these loud voices and, 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 and just worship of their King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It was a celebration. Laying their clothes in the branches before the King. As he made his way into the city. Matthew tells us that some of the multitude that was there around Jesus remember, they were behind him and they were ahead of him. He was just had this multitude of people that were following along with him as he sat on that, that donkey. And they were saying, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's what some of the people were were saying amongst themselves. And they had it right. You see, Jesus, He came as a prophet. He was a prophet. But Jesus also came as a king as He was now, for the very first time, actually receiving worship where before He always pushed worship away from Himself. Now He's receiving worship. He's coming into the city as King. The King of the Jews on the back of this this donkey. Jesus, He came as priest. As the high priest of His people. He came as prophet. He came as King. He came as priest. But you know what? He came much more than that. He was also the Son of God. He was God in flesh. He was the Redeemer of Israel. He was the Savior of sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. He came to die for us. And and we're sitting here today knowing that our Lord, He's more than a prophet. Some people want to just keep Him in that place. He was just a good man. He was just a prophet. No. Jesus was God in flesh. The Savior of the world. We're also told that there were people there in the crowd who had witnessed Jesus perform that miracle when He raised Lazarus from the dead. This just had happened days before. That He had risen a man from the dead And we're told that there were people in the crowd in John's Gospel that bore witness of Jesus. They saw it. Some of them were probably eyewitnesses of that miracle. We also in the crowd had some of the Pharisees that day that were calling out from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples as they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But Jesus answered and said to these religious Pharisees, He says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And if you've ever been to Israel, and I have, the whole landscape is littered with stones. Can you imagine how that would have sounded in the ears of these religious Pharisees? You can't keep them quiet the very stones themselves will cry out. There were also some Pharisees in this mixed multitude of people that were talking amongst themselves. They were saying, look, the whole world has gone after Him. They were threatened on that day as they saw Jesus riding in as King into Jerusalem. Threatened, and as each day passed, they were getting threatened more and more. We finished in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. We read, and Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple, and he didn't go into the actual temple itself, but he made his way through probably the east gate and he came into the temple court area. That area that surrounded the temple there on the Temple Mount. And we're told that when He got inside the walled city on the Temple Mount, it says that He began to look around at all things, it says. It doesn't even say specifically what He was looking at, but that He was looking around at all things. And then it just tells us as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the Twelve. He went back to that place in Bethany, that safe place with His disciples. The place where they would lay their head. The place they would eat their meals. And then they would get ready for the next day. It makes you ask the question, what did Jesus see on that day? As He stood in the courtyard on the Temple Mount. Uh, what did He see? and Was it pleasing to Him what He saw? Or was it displeasing what He saw on that day? We're told as Jesus entered this temple and began to, to look around at all things, I, I, it made me think, what is the application for us today? And I started thinking, what would it be like if Jesus were to walk into Calvary Chapel Fellowship this morning, if He were to walk into this church and to begin to look around at all things, what would He see? If He were to come into one of our homes, or let's just say all of our homes, He were to walk into your home and He were to to look around And he would have just stood there and looked around from room to room in your home. What would he see? What things would we want to maybe hide from him? Or would we be ashamed of? I think it probably would be pretty intimidating. I think even as a pastor of this church, as he walked into this place, I'd be thinking, I'm wondering what he's seen. What is he seeing in me? What is he seeing in you? What does he see in this church? What does he see in our homes when we're away from this church? I think it would have been pretty intimidating. And you see, he wasn't even taken up with all the temple and with all the beauty of the temple and the structures that surrounded it, he was taken up with the people. The people that were there that day, and there were many up on that temple mount. He was concerned with the spiritual condition of their hearts. He was able to see into the very heart of a man or a woman. He could see the sin. He could see the spiritual blindness. He could see the compromise that was in their lives. He could see that lack of faith. That they had, and, and even the disbelief in their hearts of who he was and who he claimed to be. He could see that as he was up there on that, that mount. And I believe that that is what caused Jesus to weep over Jerusalem. He saw the city, he saw the people, he saw the nation of Israel, and it caused him to weep with what he saw. That same day, Sunday evening, after this grand entrance into the city, Jesus leaves with His disciples. He walks back to Bethany, which is a a couple mile distance of, of a walk. He makes His way back to Bethany where He's going to spend the night with His disciples. Keep in mind that all of this week, this is the Passion Week. This is the days leading up to the cross. And the people that were there in the city, it's probably over a couple million people. People would travel from all over the region to come for Passover. To come for this celebration week. One of the most uh, probably uh, greatest feasts for the nation of Israel. To come together on Passover. To celebrate, to commemorate their liberation from the Egyptians. When they were taken from the bondage of the Egyptians and, and set free by God. It was a celebration time. It happened on the 15th day of Nisan on the Jewish calendar every single year and still does. We read on in Mark 11.12. It says, now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, we're told that Jesus was hungry. Remember, we're only talking a couple mile walk. He may have got up that morning and had nothing to eat. Probably was in prayer long before Maybe even before the disciples got up. And then all of a sudden, now they're making their way back down to Jerusalem again. And as they're walking, Jesus was hungry. And seeing from afar, He sees a fig tree having leaves. And Jesus went to see if perhaps He would find something on it. Here's Jesus looking again. Like He did up on the Temple Mount. He went to see if perhaps He would find something on it. When He came to it, He found nothing but leaves. There was no fruit, just leaves on the tree. For it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus then begins to speak to the tree. He begins to address the tree. Can you imagine what was going on in the heads of the disciples as He walks up to this tree and begins to address and respond to this tree. And He says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And His disciples, they heard Jesus say those words. It's now Monday. Friday's coming. It's just days away from the cross. The disciples that are with Him don't have any clue of this. They're just with Him. And Jesus knows that that day is coming. Jesus had already looked over the city and and He wept over it he saw all the religious activity that was going on in the city on that day he saw all the people that were making the preparations for passover you see passover jesus was crucified on passover and all the preparation leading up to that there was much preparation that had to go to ha- had to happen before passover The people, the multitudes of people that were there in Jerusalem, it was a busy place. Making preparations. And Jesus all this time, He knew that it was just a few days away before these same people were going to be saying at the top of their lungs, crucify Him, crucify Him. The fig tree. A type of Israel. The tree that Jesus walked up to because He was hungry. The nation of Israel. In this picture that we have in in our Bibles here, the nation of Israel, uh, that tree there with just leaves. No fruit. Just the beautiful green leaves of the fig tree. That was Israel. You see, Israel, they had the leaves. You see, there's a lot of religious people. They have the leaves. They have all the outward exterior of a religious person. They have all the right lingo. They say the right things. That that, quote, you must be a Christian. They say the right things. They had the leaves. They had the law. They had the temple that God had given to them and the sacrifices that came with it. But they had no fruit. And these were the ones, the religious ones, that were going to reject him as Messiah. They were going to reject him as king and as savior. But they had the leaves. They had all the right look. They did all the right things. They were making all the preparations for Passover year after year. All the feasts that they would attend. They go to church every week. They do all the right things. But they only had the leaves. The disciples They may have remembered as Jesus uttered those words, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. They had to think upon those words as Jesus stood right in front of that tree and said those words to that fig tree. It might have made them think of their Bibles out of Hosea 9.10 where it reads, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But then it goes on to warn the prophet Hosea. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. You see, Israel, they fell trapped. To their enemies' sin, quite often, like we do at times. They fell trapped to the conditions that were around, they fell trapped to all of those temptations and those things, and they were following after pagan worship. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. Moses said of Baal Peor in Numbers 25, verse 5, Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you, kill his men who were joined to Baal Peor. And that's because in that place, Israel was taken up with the idolatry of the Moabites. Here, the prophet Hosea is likening Israel like the grapes in the wilderness, the first fruits on the fig tree. And we also read of the, the prophet Joel in 1 7. It says that this prophet said, He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. You see, these were all judgments against Israel who had turned away from God, turned away from the covenant, turned away from the promises and the Word of God. They needed repentance. And they did, and there's times that Israel repented and returned, and then they would go back, and they'd go back and forth, and it was a, a, a life of compromise and then recommitment. You know, kind of like us. Some of the things that we see in verse 11 to 14. It says in verse 11, when they had come out from Bethany, this two mile track, and Jesus is hungry, and he he walks up to this tree, and it tells me something about our Lord, even in this. Here's Jesus, God in flesh, but he's still like you and I had to eat. He felt hunger like you and I. He felt all the things that we feel in the sense of our flesh. He was a God-man. He was hungry. And we see His humanity even in this. But He was also hungry for something else as Jesus walked up to that fig tree on that day, yes, He may have had those hunger pains inside for physical food. But He was also hungering for something else. He was hungering to see the spiritual fruit in the nation of Israel. They didn't have a good record up until this point. Israel had failed miserably and many of them were living even now in disbelief. Even with all the miracles and the three years of ministry of Jesus. Many were still fighting against Him and living in unbelief. This is not the one we're waiting for. This is, look where He came from. Look where He's born. This is not our King. This is not the one we've been waiting for. Jesus, as he stood in front of that tree, he was hungry to see some spiritual fruit hanging on this fig tree, this type of Israel. In verse 12 or verse 13, we're told that Jesus saw from afar a fig tree having leaves. In other words, he saw it at a distance. Jesus was already thinking as he was walking on this dirt path, making his way with the disciples towards the city. He saw this fig tree that was off in the distance. And he started to think in his mind as he was hungry and as he walked up to this tree, he saw it from afar. He wouldn't have even been able to see if there was any fruit. He only saw probably the silhouette of this large fig tree that was off in the distance. It appeared that it might have had some fruit on it. At the distance, he could see that it was full of these green, lush leaves. It would have appeared, he would have thought, that it might have had fruit on it. He was hungry, but he was seeking to also fill that hunger by seeing fruit on that tree. Spiritual fruit. He came up like he was an inspector. Like he was a fruit inspector looking at this fig tree. He hungered to see it. But as he drew closer to it, as he walked right up on it as he stood at the base of it and he, and he looked up at into this tall tree that was full of leaves but it had no fruit on it we're told that when Jesus came to it he came with hopes of finding fruit and then he quickly realized that it was just a tree with leaves with no fruit. It says that He found nothing but leaves. No fruit, just leaves. And when Jesus, we're told, came into this world in in John 1.11, it tells us that Jesus came to His own. Speaking of the nation of Israel, His own people. It says that He came to His own And his own did not receive him. They rejected him. And even today, even to this day, Israel is living, for the most part, all of Israel is living in unbelief. There are some that have had their blinded eyes open to the Messiah. We have Jews today that are saved. But many are living today in unbelief. The sycamore fig tree of Israel is a tree that could grow up to considerable heights. It was large. It had these dark green leaves. They typically would produce what's called an early green fruit in the month of April. It would ripen, and as it ripened over the next six, eight weeks, they would turn yellow or red into red fruit. There would be these thick clusters of figs that would be hanging within the leaves, within the tree. It was known by the Jews that if the fig tree didn't produce any small green uh, figs in the beginning, if it didn't produce those and it only had the leaves upon it, That there would be no later fruit that would come. In verse 14, we're told that when Jesus found nothing but leaves, it was then He responds and He speaks to the tree and He says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. You see, Jesus desires fruit in our lives. He doesn't want us to be religious people. He doesn't want us to be good church attenders. A lot of people are struggling with being church attenders now (laughs) in the days that we're in. But He doesn't want us to be just church attenders. He doesn't want us just to, to, to put on the face. He wants us to have right hearts. He wants to see fruit coming out of our lives. The fruit of love is the primary fruit that we read in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is first love and then eight other fruit follow that. It's God's Spirit living in the life of a true believer. It will produce fruit. This is what Jesus desired that day as he walked up to that tree. But all he saw was a tree full of leaves. We have a picture, I think, of uh, of this fig tree with the fruit. There's the tree with the fruit. See that? Beautiful, isn't it? Look at look at the clusters of the figs on those tree on that tree. Look at the other tree. Put the other one up. Just with the green leaves. You walk up to that tree and there's nothing on it but green leaves. Jesus wanted to see fruit. He wants to see fruit in, not only in the Israel, but He wants to see that fruit in us. They heard Jesus on that day curse the fig tree. We read on in verse 20. It says, now in the morning, and this is the next day, and I'm going to just read a portion of it. We're actually going to get in more detail to it next week. But we read in verse 20, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look! The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. We have another picture of a fig tree that is dried up. No life. No fruit. No leaves. Cursed from the, from the root up. And I'm sure that as Jesus cursed that and as they walked by that next day and saw that tree that had been dried up from the root up, right on the pathway to the city, that that thing stood there as a marker, as as something to remember. This was the first time that Jesus performed a miracle in this way. All of His other miracles were out of His love and His compassion to touch an individual's life. Here, Jesus is actually performing a miracle and cursing this fig tree really as a, as a pitcher for the nation of Israel. It had withered. It was fruitless. We'll look at that more even next week. This was that warning to the nation of Israel. It's also a warning to all of us this morning. You see, we never can just point it at Israel. We can never just say, "Well, you know, those, those Jews, you know the, you know I mean, but what about me? What about you? A warning to all of us about an outward profession, but we have no fruit. You see? Jesus is a fruit inspector, but we also can be fruit inspectors of one another. Not judgment calls, not judging one, but we can judge fruit. And 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 a person that has fruit coming forth out of their life as a Christian, I can tell you, it's very evident. It's for all to see. And I and I believe as Christians that we should be. Asking God to search our heart and show me who, where I'm at and, and see what's inside of me. Maybe you're not seeing much fruit coming forth out of your life lately. It can happen at home. It can happen at work. And it can happen when you're outside of this building that God could use you. That God could use the fruit of His Spirit in your life. And it can become very evident to your spouse. It can become very evident to your employees and employer that you're a Christian. That there's something different. It could be that evidence that people just see when you're out about. At times you open your mouth for Christ. You see, Paul had to address this issue with with New Testament Christians In Titus 1.16, Paul wrote this to Titus. He says, Titus, there are some that profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. That's a New Testament warning to a New Testament church. Profession without practice. Saying we're a Christian, but nothing no different. Jesus warned His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He says, you will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Asking a question. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the Kingdom of Heaven, but he who does the will of My Father in Heaven. Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name? Have we not cast out demons in Your name? And done many wonders in Your name and then I will declare to them, these are Jesus' words, I never knew you. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. It's going to be an eye-opening day for a lot of people. People that profess, but they don't have any fruits of repentance. They say they are, but there's nothing that really that shows it for Jesus, that same day, He came into the city. Remember, it was only a couple mile walk. Comes back down from the Mount of Olives and up the side of the Kidron Valley and comes in probably through the east gate of the Temple Mount. And then He comes into the city once again and He begins to look around. I think we have a picture of the Temple Mount. Maybe. There's another one that just shows the temple. So you can see... It's, uh, maybe you can see it. You can see that area that's called the Court of the Gentiles. Jesus probably came into this court area that surrounded the temple that's there uh, in the middle. And all that colonnade that uh, surrounds on the outside of that, uh, there... As he walked in there, there was a lot of hustling and bustling and tables all set up. There's a lot of people selling things there. Jesus arrives on this day. Remember on Sunday when he looked around, and it doesn't tell us what he saw, but I have to believe that he wasn't pleased at what he saw. And now He comes back in for the second day back up onto the Temple Mount. And as He walks in, He sees the same thing going on again. People doing the same thing. All in the name of religion. All in the name of preparation for the Passover. We read on in verse 15, so they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and He began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And He would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then Jesus taught, saying to them, it is written... He's quoting here from Isaiah 56, verse 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Here's all the religious people gathered together, making preparations. But in the midst of all of that, you have these people setting up shop. Making a profit off the people of God. And we see that today, don't we? And God helped those that would seek to make a profit from religion. And there are many today, charlatans that are trying to use religion for their own gain and their own purpose. They will stand before God someday. Jesus saw this as He, as he walked in and saw these these tables and these money changers you see as the people came from surrounding regions with different forms of money they had to exchange that money into an appropriate money that could be used in their giving in the temple but these money changers were charging and sometimes even up to 25% they were charging the people to exchange their money into acceptable money for the temple giving that they would their offerings that they would give Kind of like the tax collector sitting in there taking advantage of the people. There were people that would come from long distances and they would travel there to Jerusalem for Passover. And they couldn't carry their lamb with them or their, you know, their, their, their animals that they were going to give for, to the priest for the sacrifice of their family. So they would wait until they arrived in Jerusalem and then they would go and they would find one of these tables there and they would buy these animals. They had the doves and they had all these animals set up for sale. And they were charging exorbitant prices for the people that had to make their journey. Could you imagine what was going on in the mind of Jesus as He saw all this? The prophet Jeremiah warned in Jeremiah 7.11, it says, has this house, which is called by My name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. A den of thieves. You see, everything that's happening, everything that happened on this Day, everything that happened on that week, everything that ha- is going to happen, you know, this is all foretold. We're living ourselves in days looking ahead prophetically to the things in our Bible that we read and we go, you know what, it's going to happen exactly the way God said that it would. Jesus Christ is coming back. There's coming a tribulation period upon this earth that will last for seven years. There's coming a thousand year millennial reign that will follow that seven year tribulation according to Scripture exactly the way Jesus said. He's going to come back. He's going to rapture the church before the seven year tribulation period. And then there's going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of that tribulation period. Exactly the way your Bible says, that's the way it's going to happen. This was not the first time that Jesus had gone up onto the temple and turned over the money changers and and let the animals even out of those cages probably. We read in John's Gospel, this was in the early part of Jesus' ministry. Remember, Jesus made His way to Jerusalem every year like every practicing Jew did. He would make His way to Jerusalem Himself with His disciples for Passover. In John chapter 2, verse 13, we read, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. This is an earlier one. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. They were taking unfair advantage as I shared. And when He had made a whip of cords in this account, John's account, It says that Jesus actually tied a whip of cords. Leather cords together. And it it says that He drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen and He poured out the changers' money and He overturned their tables. They're right on the temple mount. It doesn't tell us that Jesus was whipping anyone with with that cord. But Jesus was coming through that temple area with righteous anger for what He saw was taking place in His house. And He was justified in doing that. He said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make My Father's house a house of merchandise. Then His disciples were told, remembered that it was written in Psalm 69, verse 9, a prophecy concerning this. Zeal for Your house has eaten Me up. So the Jews answered and said to Jesus, what sign do You show us since we do all these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up." And then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to rise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of His body. Therefore, when He had risen from the dead, His disciples remembered what He had said to them on that day, and they believed the Scriptures and the words which Jesus had said. You see, everything was perfect. Ideal. Perfect time. When Jesus said something like that, He knew the impact of that upon His disciples. Those religious Pharisees that couldn't wrap their head around it. Thinking, you know, He's talking about this temple that took 46 years to build. And He's going to raise it up in three days? Spiritually blind. They couldn't see. They had all the leaves, but they had no fruit. We read, and we'll close with this in verse 18 and 19. It says, and the scribes that were there that day and the chief priests that were there that day, they heard it. And they sought how they might destroy Jesus. you see that? you see what... You see how religion will go? A religious person. Somebody that really doesn't know Christ. Sometimes can be the greatest enemy of the cross. They say they are. But they're really not. And here's these religious leaders uh, seeking how they might destroy Jesus. And probably not just Jesus, but anyone that would follow Him. And it says... They wanted to destroy Him because they feared Him. <laughs> These religious leaders were, were fearful of Him because all the people were astonished at His teaching. You know, they, were, they didn't like to see people sitting at His feet. They didn't like to see the people amazed at the wisdom of His words. His teaching. No one's ever taught like this before. They followed him, and they didn't like that. They, 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 they wanted to destroy him. These religious leaders, they were cut deeply by Jesus' words. They cut them. To them, it was blasphemous. They looked for this way to destroy Him. But I also think that they were looking for a way to even destroy His followers. We're told that when evening had come, like on Sunday, when evening had come, He went out of the city. And and the the way the wording is here, it it actually means that this was something that, that Jesus regularly did. He went out of the city. In other words, it was drawing to evening time and it was time to get out of the city. Remember, they were seeking how they might destroy Him. And I don't think that Jesus for any moment was ever fearful for His life. He wasn't thinking about Himself and and how somebody might try to take advantage of them if they were to travel at night or to be there too late. I think He was thinking of His... His men. Those disciples that were with Him. When evening had come, He went out of the city. And it may have been a thing to protect. It's time to go, guys. It's time to leave. Let's go back to Bethany again. And they left that city that evening and headed back towards Bethany. I know that feeling when you've ministered all day. I've been on mission trips. I've been in situations. You have many of you too. When you've done VBS here, you've worked hard. You've been, put all your time. You, you got you know, and and then you know you have that time where you go back to rest. Oh wow, we need this. It's refreshing. Ministry can be hard. Can you imagine what it was like? For just this one day walking with Jesus, and we're only getting just a little glimpse of what took place in that whole day. You know he withered the cursed the fig tree and then comes up and turns over all the and we're only getting just a glimpse of what that day looked like. I have a feeling when the day was done, the disciples were saying, "Let's go, Jesus. Let's get back to Bethany." The Lord is very gracious towards you and I. Forgiving. He's slow to anger. He's merciful towards you and I. He loves you with a love that you can't even wrap your head around. He wants to rescue you every single day from your sin. He wants to keep you from the evil one every single day. He wants to show His love towards you in every moment of the day. He wants to reveal Himself to you every single day. And then we look at ourselves at times and say, I didn't even hear from the Lord today. I didn't didn't even receive anything from the Lord today. I, I, I didn't even seek the Lord today. And again, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is forgiving. And He'll continue to forgive. As we admit our sin and as we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and will cleanse you. He will continue to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God, help us that today and tomorrow, as we get up for a new day, if the Lord doesn't come back before then, that there would be some fruit that might come forth out of my life. That, that, I could, that God would be pleased as He looked around. Wherever you're at. If you had that in your mind that Jesus is this fruit inspector and He just, He's looking around, He sees it all, He observes my life. For those that don't know Christ, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For those of us who do know Christ, the Bible says that we stand naked before God with whom we have to do. All laid out before the inspector. He sees it all. He knows our heart. And so, ask God. Ask Him to forgive you. Let's pray.